So we're in our final week of this series we call Decisions, Decisions, Making the Best Choices Ever. And here's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about the idea uh, that you, that there's a God. He identifies himself as your heavenly father and my heavenly father. And that that God created you, created you uniquely with your own set of strengths, your own uh, bent emotionally, your own bent um, kind of how you view the world. He's, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, he has given you gifts, spirit, what we call spiritual gifts, and has made you unique in a certain way. And that because that uh, God is your heavenly father, he really cares about the decisions you make. And just like uh, any parent would, and he wants to be involved in those decisions, and he really wants you to make good ones. And that's what we've been essentially talking about over the last few weeks, is that there's a God. He's called our Heavenly Father. He wants you to make really good decisions. He wants to help you make really good decisions. And so we've been talking about what, his, what the Word of God, the Bible, says about making really good decisions. And we've been asking ourselves this question over and over again. Considering my history, um, who I've been in the past, how I handled this situation in the past, um, uh, how, how did I handle my last, my previous three relationships? How did I handle my previous three investments? How did I handle my previous three business trips? Uh, all these different things. Considering my past, considering my current reality, who I am now, what's the wise thing to do? Again, not what's the right thing, or is this wrong, or is it legal, or uh, how far do I get up to right up to the line before I've actually crossed it. But what's the wise thing to do, considering my reality now? Is it wise to go to that party? Is it wise to enter into a relationship? Is it wise to spend money? Considering my history, who I, who I've, my, kind of my pattern that I have leading up to now, and then considering now, am I married, unmarried? What, what's the deal? Where am I financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically? And then considering, probably most importantly, my future identity, who I want to be. More importantly, my future identity of who God wants me to be. Considering who God wants me to become, what's the wise thing to do? That's the question we've been asking ourselves. And what that question does is it pushes past all the ways we find loopholes because we've been talking about this over the last few weeks. We find loopholes. That's just what we do. And if you're a Christian, you're like a professional at finding loopholes because you read the Bible and you like, don't like or don't like what it says. And so you figure out a way to go around and kind of work your way around. And sometimes you even use the Bible to find, use it for a loophole. And so we've been asking ourselves, considering my history, considering my current reality, considering my future identity, uh, what's the wise thing to do? Now, here's the thing. For all of us, every single one of us, there's probably been some decisions in your life that you look back on and you ask yourself this question. What was I thinking? Like, what, what was I thinking? Now, some of you you know, it's not, don't think of your marriage, don't think of your wedding, okay, don't, don't think about that, but there's a whole bunch of different decisions where you look back and you go, well, what was I thinking, or maybe you say it this way, how could I be so foolish, how could I have been so foolish, maybe you ask it this way, why didn't I see that coming, now here's the thing I want to talk about this morning, and, and we'll kind of flesh this out more and more, um, I don't think we land long enough on that question. 
I think, at least in my own life, when I ask myself that question, it's kind of a launching point to move on. Like, oh, how could I have been so stupid? And then the, the, the underlying narrative of that is, well, I'll never do that again. But that's not necessarily true. Like, like how, how could I have been so foolish? Or why didn't I see that coming? It's, it's kind of an admission of um, idiocy or foolishness or whatever. And then we got to move on. But, but can you sit with that for a while? What were you thinking? What was I thinking? When, when I go back to the bad decision I made, because there was only one, uh, the, the bad decisions that I've made, uh, if I go back to there and I really start to think, what was it that I was thinking? And, and really what happens is we, we, we come to the conclusion that it was not so much that we were thinking, but we were feeling. <laughs> it wasn't so much we were, were thinking a certain way, it's that we were feeling a certain way and we allowed those feelings, those emotions to kind of uh, overtake what we were thinking. Now the Bible addresses this and we've been talking for weeks about this idea that culture has a certain conforming element to it. There's a certain pressure from culture. And now culture is not all bad. We've been saying this for weeks. There are things about culture that are good. Our culture now in, in 2014 is much more sensitive to racial issues. That is good. We understand the differences. We understand acceptance and inclusion. That is, that's a great part of, the, part of our, our uh, culture. And there's other parts that are fine. But normally, if we just look at culture and we're a follower of Jesus or we're beginning to maybe read the Bible and think of our lives in a certain way, there's things of culture that we don't really want to be a part of. And yet culture, through whatever, media and all these types of different things and just group think, uh, will conform us to a certain Thing that we don't want to be. If we just allow ourselves to be conformed, to not even think about it, to just kind of go with culture, we will end up down the road somebody we don't want to be. Maybe in one, two, three, maybe even four areas of our life. If we just lift our heels up and let the current of culture carry us, we're going to end up in a place we don't want to be. Now the Bible talks about this, and we've been hinting at this for weeks. It says this in Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. That, that means that the, 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 the Bible is, uh, talks in terms of that there's a pattern. There's a certain thing. And now, now when Paul was talking to the church in Rome about this, he wrote this letter, their pattern looked a little different than ours. Okay? Our pattern's a little different than theirs was. But the whole point is don't be conformed by it. Culture by itself doesn't do a good job of making people who look like Jesus. And so Paul warns that church in Rome and says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. But he goes on, he says this, uh, but be transformed. And then he, he says this, by the renewing of your mind. Now, for years, if you've been a Christian or you've been involved in a religion or church or whatever, we kind of think of being transformed by doing the right thing. You're transformed by not doing certain things. You don't uh, do certain things sexually. You don't lie. You don't cheat. You don't kind of do all these things that if you don't do those things, you'll be transformed. But the Bible, while that's the end goal, sanctification, if you want to use the big word, while that's the end goal, the process is the renewing of your mind to ask yourself, what was I thinking? How could I have been so foolish? No, really, how could I have been so foolish? 
This is what the Bible says. And it goes on and it says, if you're able to do this, if you're able to ask yourself that question, if you're able to analyze yourself in this way and you're able to invite the Word of God and the Holy Spirit into this process and others, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. That's kind of important, I think. I mean, if you could put that on the bottom of a resume, that'd be pretty sweet, right? You're just like, yeah, you know, yeah, I I graduated from high school and I'm also able to test and approve what God's will is. So uh, I think I deserve a raise, right? That's something we all want. So, So here's the thing. When we look back at those situations, those di- different decisions and stuff, we might not have seen it coming, or maybe we were foolish, or maybe whatever. We, maybe, we, maybe we missed it. But I can almost guarantee you that there was someone in your life, someone around you that did see it coming. We, there was someone in your life that was asking the same question, why are you being so foolish? There was somebody outside you that was able to look at you and go, that is a bad decision. And you guys know what I'm talking about because you're able to see it in everybody else, aren't you? I know I am. In other words, if, if you just said to me, this, this is, if you gave me all your finances right now, you just brought them up here, this is my finances, I could run your money way better than you could. I could tell you exactly how to run it. I could tell you, you don't, you don't need those shoes. You already have one pair of shoes. Why do you need two pairs of shoes? You need two pairs of shoes? There's countries, I'll name 15 countries, they don't have any shoes. Okay, why don't you go there, right? right? It, 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 you could do the same thing to me. You could, you could, if I said, look, this is my diet, this is what I've been eating, you're eating. I had a donut between services. You would have slapped that donut out of my hand and said, you don't need that donut. That's a bad decision. But I wanted the donut. And so I, I made that decision myself. It's easy to, to, to do it for someone else. Why, why can we micromanage and manage and analyze everyone else's life, but then our own, we look back and we go, man, how did I miss that? Now, the other thing is, not only was there somebody in your life who probably saw that, they probably tried to warn you in the best way that they knew how, and that was usually to hint at it, you know, to say something in terms of, hey, really, you're getting into another relationship? Like, didn't, didn't the, has the other one ended yet? Because you might, I don't know, you might want to just kind of break that off first and give yourself some time. It might have gone like that. It might have gone something like, hey, are, you're going you're to go out and to a party again tonight? You don't, I'm not judging you or anything, but last night you, you got home and it wasn't good. And Are, are you really going to do that? Are you gonna, that's how it came because they don't, they don't want to judge you. And so the question you ask yourself, and I've seen this many, many times when someone in my office or even myself you kind of think, well, why didn't they just come right out and tell me? You know, I, I had a friend of mine uh, or an acquaintance that was in a relationship and the, pers- the girl was not good for him. Everybody saw it, right? And so everybody assumed everybody else was telling him. And people were doing it. They were hinting at it, you know, like, hey, you know, I, I don't know if that's the uh, best thing. You know, she just got out of prison. Might not be a good, uh, a good match for you or whatever. Just talk to her parole officer first. Uh, all, all this kind of stuff. And then when that relationship ended, everyone was like, oh, phew. And he said, well, why didn't you tell me? Now, here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Not why didn't someone tell us? Why were we unapproachable? What is it about us that 
pushes back when somebody begins to hint or begins to challenge or begins to get to us. And here's what we're going to talk about this morning. It's our emotions. Emotions fog decision making. And when we get into the idea of making a decision, our emotions begin to take over and we don't want to hear from anybody else. Maybe if you've ever bought a house, it looks something like this. You are, uh, you're there at the house. It has granite countertops. It has everything you want. And this house, deep down inside, you're thinking, when I go to see my brother-in-law and he comes over, he's going to look and go, you finally arrived. And here's what happens to your decision making. <laughs> this will teach my brother-in-law something. When he sees these granite countertops and people all around you say, can you afford that house? What if interest rates go up? What if, and your emotions are clouding your decision making. Now, This might have been a little too on the nose, okay? But you get the idea. And all of us have had decisions that we've made that have had this cloud of emotion around us. And so even when people begin to try to push back or tell us something or whatever, that we have these emotions that get in the way. Sometimes we sit, oh, my boss is making me so mad. I'm just going to walk in and all this emotion. And everybody at work, don't do that. I wouldn't do that. But we, that, that's where we are. Emotions cloud decision making. Now, here's the thing. Here's what happened to me this week because I was going through this and this is where, how it played out in my own life. I, uh, so I was going over this text and we're going to look at what the wisest man in the world had to say about this. And uh, uh, it was in the morning. I was talking to my wife and to my daughter and stuff. And I was speaking and I was in mid-sentence, and they just began another conversation that had nothing to do with what I was saying. Like, right, and I, I asked my wife if I could tell this story, and she was like, no. Anyway, um, so, so I, I'm, I'm talking, and I'm like, and the other thing, and it was just like they, they started the conversation. And I'm thinking to myself, what the heck is that all about? I'm the man of the house. Here's what happened. I paid for this house. Right? I, I sired that kid. And they're all talking about their thing and all this kind of stuff. So here's what I did. In the cloud of emotion, I came up with an idea. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave I'll bet I could leave right now and they wouldn't even know I was gone. I could just, I'm going to grab my keys and I'm going to walk out of the house. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go to work right now. They won't even know I'm gone. And so, sure enough, I leave. Nobody says anything. So I grab the keys to my car. I put the key in the ignition. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'll bet I could drive to work and they wouldn't even know. I remembered I was preaching a sermon on Sunday. So I tried my best to step through the cloud of emotion to think just a little bit clear. And I said, if I do that, like right now I just feel disrespected. I feel like I'm angry. I'm kind of, 
the Greek word for this is immaturity, but uh, I, you know, I, I, all this kind of stuff. But as I began to just try to get the cloud of emotion out, I started thinking, my wife and I have been married for almost 25 years. Do you think she really like, thought to herself, this will get him? <laughs> yeah. Right when he's in mid-sentence. Audrey, you ready? On the count of three. One, two. Oh, I think this is, of course not. They were just having a conversation. And as I began to just process and breathe and go, dude, you are a baby. What are you doing? You preach sermons on Sunday? What's going on? I walked back in. They did, I don't even think they knew I left. I, it doesn't even matter. It's like, I came back in. I'm just like, this is a you problem. And I began to just kind of, and we were back in conversation. It was, it was no big deal at all. But had I gone through with that decision, I would have gotten, I'm telling you right now, I would have gotten to work and I would have been like waiting for my phone to ring. You know, when, when my wife finally decided to realize I wasn't there. But guess what? She wasn't going to realize that. She was having a great conversation. I, I leave all the time in the morning without anybody knowing where I'm going. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's not that, but I would have ruined my whole morning because I was in the fog of emotion. Now, that's great, a great little story, and it had this one little thing. But what if I'm, what if I'm choosing a spouse? Well, what if I'm, I'm ready to make a decision that, that an, an impacts me for the next decade? What if I'm entering into a relationship that's going to end up hurting me for years to come, bringing baggage, that baggage of that relationship into the next one, into the next one, and the next one. What if I, I can't get through this fog of emotion? I mean, what if it's something that's so heightened because the higher the emotion, the less your chance for making a wise decision. The less my chance. That's why we call them crimes of passion. The emotion is so high, you just go off. What happens if it's something like that. Well, the Bible talks about this. The Bible talks about how to get around this. And, and uh, the, the cool thing is, the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. He, he, so he, Solomon was so wise, other kings and queens would come from all around when they had a dilemma with, the, with their land or whatever they were trying to rule. They'd come to Solomon and he would give them advice. He'd, he'd tell them what to do. And so they would bring him gifts. And at one point, Solomon was so successful as a counselor, as, a, as, a, as an advice giver, that silver in Israel was basically worthless because there was just so much of it. It just all came in. And it was just like, it was like the heyday of Israel. And this guy, the wisest guy, he, he, he started out young. He was a young king. And God asked him, you want something? Ask me what you want. I'll, I'll give it to you. And he, instead of going for riches, instead of going for, he says, I want wisdom. And then he adds this little thing to lead this great people of yours. I want to be a good leader. And God gives him wisdom. Now, the person that was given the godly gift of wisdom, you would think he'd never have to ask for anybody for wisdom. But the guy who needed wisdom the least wrote about asking for wisdom the most. More than any other ancient writer, more than any other biblical writer. Solomon talked about seeking wise counsel. Why? It takes you out of, or at least pushes aside, or lets you look past the fog of emotion. Watch what he says here in uh, Proverbs Chapter 1, verse 5. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Well, why would the wise need to listen? They're wise. (laughs) 
Like, shouldn't that say, let the unwise listen? Solomon knows something. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. In other words, even, even when you've got it together, the importance of having outside input. Why? Because when you're clouded in emotion, you cannot think clearly. Bad decisions are made. And so there's people outside of that cloud that can see, that can say, you don't want to do that. You don't want to date her. You don't want to buy that. You don't want to enter into that agreement. You don't want to take that job. You don't want to talk to your teacher that way. Trust me, it's bad because they're outside the cloud. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Look what it says in uh, Proverbs 9, 9. Uh, instruct the wise, they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. Again, the same idea. Wise, wiser. This could almost say, um, instruct the wiser and they'll be wisest. I mean, it's like this idea that it doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. It is so important to surround yourself with godly people who will help you instruct your life. Solomon writes that. The other thing that's interesting is how Solomon ties this right afterwards to this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In other words, it's not just advice. It's not just getting advice like, oh, okay, I asked so-and-so for advice. Because listen, if you're, if you're honest with yourself, I've got lots of different friends. I know who to go to to get the advice I want. <laughs> not that I need, but I want. If I'm going to make a decision and I know it's not the wisest decision in the world in a certain area of my life, I'll make one call rather than another call. And I can do that in almost every single area. It's not just getting advice. Because haven't you ever tried to let yourself off the hook? We're like, well, I talked to a bunch of people. Right. They were in prison. And there's a reason why they were in prison. <laughs> it's like, don't, just because you ask for advice. The idea is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's this understanding that not only do I want advice, I, I want to hear from people the way I would hear from God. I want that kind of advice. I want to open myself up to that kind of discipline. Okay? So he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Then, he, then, then there's another proverb that kind of flips it on his head. We've been talking about the wise all this time. Um, you're, you know, the wise get instruction, the wise seek counsel, the wise. But he also talks about this. He says, the way of the of fool seems right to them. But the wise listen to advice. The way of fool seems right to them. Anybody work with someone like that? Or it's just like they don't, it doesn't, you're like, don't you understand what you, anyone like, if you've ever been or are close to a young teenage boy, have you ever, have you ever, like when I was a teenage kid, I thought my parents were ridiculously foolish. I mean, like, it's just a party. I don't think anything's ever gone wrong at a party. <laughs> What's their problem? And besides, I'm, the, I'm in charge of myself. What are you saying? Are you saying that I'm going to bring a gun to a party? No, I'm not going to do that, right? And so there's this, this the way of the fool seems right to them. And you, this might be hit closer to home. You may have a boss like this. You may have an employee like this. You may have a teacher like this. Or it's just like, man, don't they, don't they see? And kind of the, the thing is everyone around them sees. 
the way of the fool seems right to them, but wise listen to advice. Listen to this. It says this. Um, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. As you walked in and you saw the work we're doing on the patio and uh, you kind of look around and you kind of seeing how it's all going to play out. If there's a part of the patio you think is especially awesome, there's a really good chance that there were seven or eight people involved in that particular decision of what went into that particular part of the patio. If you don't like it, it was just me. Okay, that was like that, that part was probably just me. No, but that patio is just an example of a staff all talking about, okay, how are we going to use it? What could we do here? What does it look like in the summer? What does it look like in the winter? What, do we, what if children's ministry wants to use it? What if women's ministry wants to use it? What if men's ministry wants to use it? Meeting after meeting with the staff and with the board. How are we going to pay for it? And then how are we going to pay for it? And then the third one, how are we going to pay for it? And then it's just like uh, all this different type of counsel. And then we got professionals involved of what type of product to use and how to place it. And people who make their living off of designing things, all that kind of stuff. If that succeeds, it's because there was just many, many people involved in the process. Now, that's great for a patio in the eternal scheme of things. Who really cares? But what about your finances? What about your relationships? What about my decisions I make where I'm signing a contract that's going to hold me down for maybe five or six or 10 or 15 or 30 years. Like, like if it's just a patio and you use all that counsel, what, what about my identity? What about the decisions I'm making personally? You see how important that is? Plans fail for lack of counsel. You know what? I could almost insert there, lives fail for lack of counsel. That there's a, there's a, a foolishness of, of thinking we can handle it on our own. You know, we were never, ever, ever designed, ever designed to handle life on our own. Now, one of the conforming elements of our current culture, and like I said, not all of it's bad, but one of the big ones is this idea of independence. That you can do it on your own, that you're your own person, that you have personal rights, that you've got all this, that you, 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 me, 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 me. The Bible doesn't say anything about independence. It talks about interdependence, how we need each other. I need you speaking into my life. You need me speaking into your life. We all need each other speaking into each other's lives. Lives fail, I think, for lack of counsel. So nothing I've said this morning is like you could have come up with this sermon. That's not the, 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 the point really this morning is like, it's kind of like, well, I know that though. So the question is, what, what is it in us that rejects that? And what, what, what happens to us? Here it is right here. Where there is strife, there is pride. Oh, look at that. It's like magic. Oh, look, it's technology. Yep, that's what it's called. It's pretty awesome. Pride. Right there. That's the problem. The biggest cloud we're going to end up enveloping ourselves in is the cloud of pride. Of this idea that, that, that we know better. 
And, and let me show you how it, how it plays out. I stole this from uh, North Point Church. I just thought this was an, a brilliant way to, to take pride and bring it down into two different categories. The first is this success is intoxicating. Like, like the idea, like you may have started out with nothing and you worked hard and you worked hard and you kind of are, are, are earning more and earning more and earning more and now you make really good money and, and, and there's a sense of those around you where they're coming to you for all sorts of advice and they're, they're enamored by the money you make or whatever and that's intoxicating and, and we end up believing our own press and we think, wow, you know what, I... I'm really good at this. And we, we take something we're good at and we put it into all different areas of our lives. We begin to just get intoxicated with our own success. You may have started out with, you know, uh, graduating from high school, then college, and you got your master's and now you have your PhD and now you're just smart. You don't need anybody. It's intoxicating. You know all sorts of stuff. But here's the thing. That's for a few people. This is the one that I think hits us the most. Failure's humiliating. Like, like the idea to peel back ourselves and to go, I have an addiction and I need help. The idea of saying, you know what? I have racked up a lot of debt. And someone says, how much debt? And everything in you is like, a lot. <laughs> like, do we have to talk about? I've made some mistakes in relationships past. What kind of mistakes? Just mistakes. Failure's humiliating. And isn't there something about culture where it's like, it's like, do what you want, go to the edge, it's all about you. And then once you fail, it's like, oh, there you go. Off, off with you. See, the church. The way the church is designed is that we all come broken. Like I came through those doors this morning as the pastor broken, knowing I need a savior. I need Jesus. I can't do it on my own. That's kind of the premise of starting a relationship with God is this understanding that I'm broken. I left to my own devices. Who knows where I'm going to end up? Success is intoxicating and failure is humiliating. We don't want to open ourselves up because of pride. And where, we'll go back to that scripture one more time. Where there's strife, there's pride. Where there's strife in relationships between a husband and a wife, there's some pride there. Somebody won't give in or somebody, whatever. Where there's strife between teacher and, and student, somebody, there's a, and it doesn't always have to be the student that's prideful. There are teachers that are very prideful. Between boss and employee, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's on top or on bottom or whatever. They're, they're, where there's strife, there's pride. Somebody's just not, not giving in. I want to just give one little thing that I wrote down to you that hopefully you'll go, go home with and... It says, wise people know what they don't know and are humble enough to go to those that do. See, the lie is that if you go to somebody and you tell them you have a problem with something, the lie is that you failed. The truth is you just succeeded. The truth is you just won. 
The, the, the lie is to be able to be in a relationship for a certain amount of time and you're thinking to yourself, I just got to get out of here. But if I do, I'm admitting that I just wasted the last seven months of my life. I don't want to do that. That's not failure. That's success. That's not foolishness. That's wisdom. To be able to go and say, listen, I need someone to take over my finances <laughs> because I'm just not good at it. That's not foolishness. That's not failure. That's success. That's wisdom. Look what the Bible says. Listen to advice and accept discipline. See, that's the hard part, isn't it? The discipline part, the part of like, hey, that was really bad. It's like, I know it was bad. Men, let me just talk to men real quick. This is so difficult for us. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only man that has a problem with this. But if I know I've done something wrong or I know I, I'm, I'm, I'm weak in an area, I don't want to hear it from you. Like, I already know that. But it's important that it gets out in the open. It's important that I go to somebody and I say, I got a problem with this, as difficult as it is. Listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Future identity, future identity, future identity. 